Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Welcome to a special edition of Phantology Podcast. This is going to be an entry in our series of the author's voice. I am Steven, your host, and I have Josh with me this morning. Hey, happy to be here. And we are joined by our author. So this is someone that actually writes books and doesn't just fanboy about them like we do. So we have Anna Laldine uh, from London. You're over uh, across across the Atlantic, right? Um, I'm in Manchester, actually. So, but yeah. Okay. Shows my knowledge of uh, European geography there. <laughs> yeah, so Anna, tell us about yourself uh, a little bit and, and uh, tell us why you're here. Um, I am a Danish Pakistani with Indian heritage. Um, I'm the youngest out of four girls and I was born and raised in Denmark. But I moved to England in 2019 to study English literature. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it about me. <laughs> okay, and tell us a little bit about, uh, about your exciting book, Descent of the Drowned. Yeah, the Descent of the Drowned is a YA fantasy set in a colonized Indo-Persian world where society is divided into a caste system. And it's about these two characters, Levi and Roma, who are both from very... Um, toxic environments and um, they want to break out of these environments. And um, Levi's father is obsessed with magic and he's looking for a treasure um, that's dangerous and Levi and Roma are mysteriously connected to this treasure. And this is the first in a, a series that you've planned? I, that was the vibe that I got. Josh and I both finished reading the first book uh, and that, that was a question I had for you actually, like how much more should we expect? Um, it's a trilogy, so okay. um, definitely three books. Yeah, I, I would hope after the end of that book, I, I finished it last night. I'm like, there better be more after this. Um, <laughs> this is this is not going to be a spoiler podcast, but definitely the end leaves you wanting to find out what happens next. Yeah, um, when I wrote the ending, I was thinking about should I leave it so that people want a second want the second book, or should I just end it and then you know, because it's really just about whether people are interested in reading another book in the series. So, yeah. So the, the first book, Descent of the Drowned, comes out on March 15th, which as we are recording this is in a couple of days from now, this coming Monday. Tell us about your excitement level for the release. What are some emotions right now? I think um, the, mo the strongest emotion is fear. And anxiety, um, <laughs> lots of fear and anxiety. So that right now, that's what I'm feeling the most. But I'm hoping that once the book releases and reviews start coming in, and you know that I will relax a little bit more and just kind of enjoy the process. 
and be a little bit more excited about it. Yeah. Well, um, my 30 second review is, I think it was great. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think that, um, I think it's going to be positively positively reviewed. And so hopefully that calms your nerves a little bit. I don't, I mean, it's, that's just coming from, <laughs> coming from one person. Um, but honestly, like we were chatting before the show, if I ever had a uh, work that was this high quality, I would be super excited to release it. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And especially as your first uh, published work, right? Like this is some, this is some good stuff. And so, um, Congratulations on uh, on achieving what I'm sure has been a, a long dream, right? Thank you. Um, it's actually my first uh, time trying out fantasy. So yeah, I hope it goes well. So tell us a little bit about like your history with the fantasy genre. Is that what you preferred to read throughout your life? I know you said you're studying like literature. What's What's been your history with fantasy as a genre? Um, I actually used to write horror and um, I, I I was a child back then, but um, I really loved this one series called Goosebumps. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I read those as a kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they were my favorite series. And so I started out writing scary stories because I really liked Goosebumps. Um, and then eventually when I hit my teens, I started writing Paranormal. Um, I think at the time that genre was very popular. There were a lot of paranormal stories and, but I was always a little bit intimidated by fantasy. I I, I think it's such a complex genre and it takes a lot of yeah. skill. Yeah, right? it does. So I just was too afraid to try it out. Um, but yeah, if I ended up writing a fantasy book. So I... <laughs> Nice. And tell us a little bit more about uh, the inspiration for Descent of the Drowned. Um, I know it gets into your heritage and uh, and some like fairly personal, I think, themes from your life, right? Yeah. I, there were actually um, two aspects um, when it comes to what inspired me. Um, the first one was social, cultural, and political issues um, from places like South Asia and the Middle East and ancient Arabia. And some of those issues were um, things like caste system and sacred prostitution, um, ethnic persecution, but also uh, pre-Islamic pre Arabian mythology um, was something that really fascinated me, particularly because of the kind of society that it existed in. So those were like the primary um, inspirational sources for me. Um, and then, of course, I, I have um, certain personal experiences and a background that's linked to um, some of those issues like caste system. Um, I come from a culture where caste system exists. And growing up, I was asked about my caste. And so, so I have seen it up close as well with how lower caste people are treated um, whenever I visited Pakistan and I would see lower caste people, there were certain rules that applied, um, such as not drinking from a glass that a lower caste person has touched or things like that. So that kind of stuck with me and I wanted to um, talk about these issues in this book. Yeah, the book definitely takes a pretty unflinching look at the caste system. Um, I feel like sometimes with fantasy, we get 
maybe watered down cast systems where it almost seems more of just like a way to build the world or something then yeah. it does it, then it's like an actual representation of it and that was a i mean it was a good i don't know how like it was a very unflinching look at it and and i appreciated that perspective yeah like you said there's a lot of uh very serious and heavy topics in the book and it's billed as uh i think a hashtag own voices book right which uh actually maybe for those who don't know uh who, who are listening what is that uh what, what does that mean in writing um own voices is basically marginalized or underrepresented voices um so for instance uh, South Asian voices or um, people with mental illnesses or mm -hmm. people who um, come from a caste system is also own voices. So it's linked to your personal experiences, but particularly underrepresented narratives. And then the, um, the, the very obvious benefit that I see from this is that you have people writing about things that they have experienced directly. So the representation is going to be so much stronger. We like, this is a, a much more accurate look as if, you know, if I tried to write the same story, I would not do a very good job. So um, I, I think that is a, a, a big plus for Descent of the Drowned, like that uh, personal tie-in that you have makes it really powerful. And you can really see that I think in the characters in the book is there's so much uh, dimension to them and so much like, they're not just uh, stripped down to one or two characteristics, but they're really uh, well-defined and have a lot of uh, complex motivations and more than just like wanting to save the day or go and, you know, and help people. It's like they have, they're influenced a lot by their experiences that they've had and by the, the systems in which they operate. Yeah, that was... Um that was one of the things that were most important to me. It was um, the complexity of the characters and just the psychological and emotional aspects of their characters that I really wanted to um, portray as realistic as, poss as possible. So with some of these heavier topics, was that difficult to write about? I'm, I'm assuming to, to some extent it was, maybe to us some extent it wasn't because you you, um, obviously had a strong desire to kind of get these things out there. But I imagine, you know, it, it also might be tough to try to uh, appropriately handle some of these things. And so I'm, I'm sure that was something you wrestled with. Definitely. I, I mean, I a lot of research went behind um, writing this book, but it took time learning and understanding um, certain aspects of our world, such as human trafficking, um, and also it took time processing that grim reality and um, <clears throat> processing the stories that I stumbled across because some of them were very harrowing and um, disturbing. But the most difficult part, like you said, it's, it's that fear of, of failing the marginalized voices that I wanted to represent, which is why I spent um, a lot of time exploring the repercussions of sexual assault, for instance, um, because I didn't want to treat those subjects lightly. I, I, want, I didn't want it to sugarcoat things, but I also didn't want to indulge them for shock value. I, I kind of wanted a straightforward, honest depiction um, of these issues. 
uh, you can definitely see the impact that those things have had on the characters and how it's not, it's, it's really, it, it deeply affects their whole character and your understanding of the character. And so I think you did a really good job with that. Thank you. And I don't want to uh, paint the picture that this is a, a, a super dark book. I mean, there are some very serious aspects to it and some explore some darker themes, but there are also, you know, kind of these rays of hope or there's some, some positivity on human nature as well. It's not, I mean, there, there is a big movement in fantasy right now to have this like super hyper-realistic grimdark style. Um, but how do you balance the, the positive as well? I think um, by showing that the characters aren't willing to give up, um, no matter how badly um, or how many awful experiences happen to them, they constantly find something to fight for, whether it's their own freedom or whether it's people they care about, um, whether it's wanting to change to become a better person, um, wanting to change the circumstances of other people. So I think they find hope in the kind of, the kind of people that surround them and also within themselves because they want more. They don't want to just give up and, and just accept the way things are. But I think um, while I wanted the story to be dark in the sense that I want it to be honest about these issues, like what does it look like when you have human trafficking yeah, or yeah. organ trade? I also wanted to emphasize the good things about this society. Um, so relationships between people you care about um, or, you know, some really nice things about the culture, such as, you know, their, some of their um, things like <clears throat> clothes and music and food and, you know, the festival where people kind of come together to celebrate. Things like that are, are good things that, that reaffirm, you know, human life and reaffirm good relationships and things like that. So it's not all, uh, all dark. There are glimpses of, of good human experiences scattered in between all the dark stuff. And I think that was one of the best parts of the book for me was this like world that you had have built out. It feels like a world that you could go live in. And I mean, I think a lot of that is because it is such based on your experiences and your lived experiences and, uh, you know, so different from mine. So I feel like I'm being exposed to this whole world. And I think that this book did a really good job in that. And so I think that's a combination of just good world, like well done world building on your part, but also like we've been talking about the fact that it's stemming from, you know, these lived experiences of yours. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's I would say it's in the speculative fiction realm where it's, it's really based on um, a lot of real world experiences. It's kind of like a couple series that we just recently read, The Poppy War and uh, The Burning series by Evan Winter. Both are based off of, I think, I guess those would both qualify as, as own voices um, books as well because they're, they're based off of uh, underrepresented uh, cultural backgrounds. So awesome. Yeah, we, we're, we're really uh, becoming more diverse, I guess, in, in recent days. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to the, the characters that you mentioned, I thought one character that uh, really kind of represented this 
uh, like continuing, uh, continually wanting to try to become a better person, um, despite the poor decisions in the past, or maybe just um, despite the circumstances that he found himself in. I thought I thought Levi Leviathan was uh, really kind of embodied that, and we're not going to do uh, spoilers for what actually happens. But uh, out of these two characters, uh, Roma and Levi, like how did you draw inspiration for them? Um, for Roma, I I really wanted to represent a marginalized voice. And because I was, um, at the time, I had stumbled across um, something called the Devadasi system in India, which is sacred prostitution or temple prostitution. Um, and I just really wanted the female protagonist to be from this particular system because I wanted to um, illustrate the kind of life that they live and you know the the grim reality of child prostitution basically but also demonstrate how religion can be used to brainwash and control people uh, or trap them in a particular system that you know that they're too afraid to break out of with levi i wanted to explore a highly sensitive child who's taken from a safe environment and put in a military city where he survives by becoming a brutal soldier. And I didn't really want to write a hero. I, I, I wanted to write a human being who makes really bad choices and continues to make really bad choices at times and um, is rejected by his own people for his actions. Um, so, so a character with an unstable self-image and this belief that he's not worthy or capable of redemption. And so why even bother trying? And then again, at other times, he's suddenly willing to try really hard. Um, so that constant switch between how he has been raised and the kind of cynical view he has on the world, on himself, but still a part of him always wants to be better. I was snooping on your Twitter a little bit, and I think you said something about uh, the inspiration for the the, the mental uh, state that you just described for Levi. Is that am I, was I onto something there? There, there was some kind of a, a name to this. Oh, I, was it the Dark Triad? Yes. Yeah, that's for Levi's father. His, oh. The yeah the the antagonist or um, the tyrant, okay. immortal tyrant of the story world. Little, little bit different. Okay, that's my bad, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his father is, um, I based him on, partly on um, the dark triad, which is a psychological model, which uh, consists of these three traits, Machiavellianism and narcissism and psychopathy. Um, and these three traits are generally considered evil of a, of a sort. And that's why they're called the dark triad. But yeah, I, I based his character uh, on that model and a lot of his behavior and his speech and the way that he manipulates people or watches them and kind of um, determines their strengths and weaknesses. All of those aspects of his character are, um, are related to that model. Yeah, that that character specifically had like a weight whenever he was on screen or on page. Like you, you could just feel that there's like some heavy implications. And yeah, 
yeah you, you weren't quite sure what was going to happen you know you did a really good job in building up kind of the building up the character before we spent a lot of time with him and whenever he was there I just felt creeped out yeah I was um I really didn't want to build a caricature of a villain so not just have a character that is considered psychopath in the way that people usually use the word you know in in a way that makes a person seem crazy or you know in that sense I, I actually wanted to take a neurological condition like psychopathy and then build this character around that and you could also see because um, I mean, I think Levi would be generally classified as like a protagonist in the book, but you can see how these these traits from his father kind of work into his character as well. Mm. And not that he has like every one of those traits, but you can see him struggling against kind of these uh, these things that would naturally be instilled in him and that have been instilled in him through his experiences kind of before the book started. Yeah. Um, I that was also very intentional. I kind of wanted to have like this parallel between Levi and his father, but also a contrast. So they have certain traits that are similar, and yet there are also things that set them apart. Um, and I think one of the most um, predominant uh, traits that set them apart is probably that Levi has a conscience or he's he ha- he's able to feel things like shame and guilt and empathy if he allows himself to. But um, his father, he lacks those, those emotions completely. He's not capable of feeling them at all. Yeah, one of the most impactful moments of the book for me, and I want to do this, and it's not like a huge plot shaping moment, but I'm going to still try and keep it spoiler free, is Levi kills someone and it's just kind of like what would typically be seen as like, you know, taking out like a little uh, character that needed to happen. And then he found out that that person had a family and then he has to like wrestle with like the fact that he just like took away somebody's like father and, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. husband. And I think that's something that's like not really addressed too much in fantasy is you get these protagonists just kind of like taking out a guard on a tower or taking out like so-and-so that just kind of needs to move the plot forward. But like that person might have, you know, probably does have people that depend on them. And so the fact that you took the time to kind of address how that's going to affect the protagonist and affect his like uh, psyche and mental health was impressive to me. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things is the, the interactions between Roma and Levi um, when those happen. Uh, again, I don't want to do uh, spoilers like Josh said, but uh, I think that sometimes these interactions are maybe a little bit, bit like like in other books, maybe they're a little bit cheesy where it's like, oh, the characters are coming together. And of course they just like understand each other be so perfectly because they're the main characters. And, and of course, and like the plot's got to move th- them along. So here they go. They're, they're best friends now. But uh, I thought the, the interactions between Roma and Levi when they happened made a lot of sense for the characters that you had built up. And they, you know, they, they weren't exactly um, super happy. And, uh, <laughs> and, well, okay. and, and yeah, Josh. <laughs> so, so one thing, okay. One thing I was worried about as I was reading like the, kind of the first half of this book 
is, um, you know, you, it's billed as like a YA book. And I'm, I like YA books, but I, that's not like what I read a lot of. But one of the things I don't love about YA books is Insta Love, where like two characters just kind of see each other and then fall yeah. in love. And I was really, yeah. uh, throughout the first half of the book, I was like, I really don't want this to be an Insta Love story where like these two characters just like see each other and they're now in love. Yes. <laughs> and so I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but that doesn't happen, you know? Yes. Where and so I was, I was relieved about that because I was, I was, I was like, dang, that would really kind of undo a lot of the character growth in both of these characters if that were yeah. to happen. Yeah. I, um, I, I had the same thought when I started out writing this story. Um, I was like, people are going to expect that these two characters are going to fall in love. And one of the reasons I decided not to have that is, well, it's something that people expect. So what's the fun in writing something that everybody already knows is going to happen? Um, but also in terms of the characters, it just didn't make sense to me that they would fall in love with each other because they are, first of all, they are so traumatized um, and they have so many things that they're dealing with. So they're not in a headspace where they could actually develop these kind of emotions for each other. Um, but also they need very different things. And um, any kind of relationship between them would, I believe, be very, very toxic and very unhealthy. And so I, I had to really look at the characters and be like, would, would this really make sense? Would, would they be good for each other? And the answer was that where they are right now, no, they won't be. Um, and so I, I decided not to write a romance between them. And I guess we'll, uh, we'll leave it vague as to if they do develop a romance later on. Maybe it's yeah. on the table, maybe <laughs> not. If you want to know, re read the book and find out. <laughs> what I will say is they're both very well developed and you could, I could see myself shipping them. I was just like hoping that they don't just see each other and then fall in love because that would not be that's just like the opposite of where the character mm -hmm. each character was going it's like they were yeah yeah at least not in the first book but we don't know what's gonna happen yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> okay tell us a little bit more about the inspiration from religion and mythology we talked about uh some of the cultural inspirations but uh tell us more about the 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 else portion of the setting um, so I drew from pre-Islamic Arabian mythology and um, there were about 360 gods and goddesses that they worshipped back then. And um, mostly the gods or the mythology, just the faith, was used to um, cultivate things like temple prostitution or putting the fear of God in people and controlling them. But I... I was mostly interested in how um, they were used to control people. Um, so I drew a lot from, from, from that part of the mythology in how it functioned in that society. But I also um, drew from Islamic accounts um, in terms of, for instance, um, Levi's father is called the Firan. And um, in the story of Moses, in the Islamic account of, of Moses, um, the Pharaoh is also called the Pharaoh, and I like the parallel be between how both characters or the, the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh in my story consider themselves a god. Um, and so I decided to use that term 
and use that particular story also in terms of how Moses' people were persecuted by the Pharaoh um, or the Pharaoh. And the same thing kind of happens in the story world, the Pharaoh persecutes the clans. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that kind of, I like taking um, little things from different faiths and kind of twisting and tweaking them and creating these parallels. And um, I, I, I like the symbolism of it, so to speak. But also I think the magical creatures in this book, um, mm. yeah, they are, they are inspired by um, jinn angels and demons. So I basically took those ideas, but I decided to tweak them and make them a little bit different um, because I see a lot of stories these days about jinn and so, um, and also angels and demons. And I didn't just want to, you know, copy paste um, those particular creatures into my own story. Mm -hmm. I still wanted it to be my creatures in a way. Yeah. So yeah, that that's where I drew the inspiration from. And there is there's some magic. Uh, it's it's a fantasy book. Typically, we expect some magic. Um, yeah. It is still, uh, I guess, somewhat of a mystery uh, for me, having finished the book. Like there are definitely some things that uh, are explained a little more than others. So uh, that's something uh, that I'm looking forward to to learning more about. Like what is, what exactly is going on here with the magic? How does it work more? And and how does it work more into the the plot going forward? So yeah, the magic system um, was also something. Um, that I struggled with a lot in the start because I had read a lot of YA fantasy where, um, you know, the magical source is a book or it's, you know, powers that people can embody like bending the elements or making objects move with your mind. And um, what was difficult for me was that it didn't quite fit into the story world I had built because my story world was a reflection of the real world. And so I needed the magic to some, or the magic system to kind of be the same, like grounded in something. Okay. Yeah. And so the initial idea was, okay, what, what can I do? Because, you know, everything has been used before. And so it's not like you can build <laughs> something original <laughs> anymore. Um, but I just thought, you know, um, the story is, or the story world is about colonization as well. So people have invaded this country um, and they have invaded it for a reason. And so my thought was, why do countries invade other countries? And it was like, oh, for resources. Um, so what is the most desired resource in our world? And a few answers popped up, but the one that stuck with me was oil. And so I thought, okay, so what if magic in the story world is like oil? It's, it's a substance that nature provides that exists within the earth mm -hmm. that you can then draw out and tie to different components like chemicals or medicine. And then thereby you can enhance um, the ability of that component. So that's kind of where it started, but like it's, it's a little bit more, there's more, but yeah, it's, it's explored in the sequel and we kind of get a few more answers. So. Yeah, yeah. And you also have some almost like shamantic, shamantic, uh, you know, there, there's some, you know, harnessing of, of, of powers from the gods as well that's coming in. At least that's, at least that, that's how I read it. I, I, I hope I was interpreting that right. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's 
kind of, uh, it's a liturgical language. So um, this part of the magic system is more tied to um, a specific ancient language that can, be, that can be used to create magic seals or bind these uh, magical creatures to your service, for instance. <clears throat> um, but it's a darker part of a magic system that um, people use for black magic or blood sacrifices and things like that. So it's a little bit different from the other part of the system, but yeah, it's, it's, also, um, it's also magical. So. so the other thing we kind of wanted to talk to you about was the process of writing the book and and I know that this is your first time publishing. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah. So can you walk us through like the broad strokes, what the process was like? Um, yeah. So um, I, I think the querying process was the most difficult part um, because um, a lot of the agents uh, that rejected the book did it because there were too many hard issues and because it didn't follow the why fantasy formula completely mm. so it was kind of a risk that, that no one really wanted to take obviously because um the publishing industry is a business and and you know profit is what matters so they had to look at whether this book would be a commercial success um and i knew from the start that this was not a commercial um story um it didn't follow um the why fantasy formula which is what people really enjoy. It's that fast-paced, plot-driven story with, you know, lots of romance and magic and all of those things. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so, so it was like, I had to kind of decide whether I wanted to um, go with the agents that were interested and reshape the book into a commercial story, or if I wanted to take a different path and, you know, have to fight really hard for this book to be seen and um, you know find a place for it in the market and um, I decided obviously to take a different path because um, what was important to me was that I could stand by this book and this story and that um, I wasn't just writing for the market just to kind of sell a book and do well um, but also my goal was to spread awareness. And, and so um, that was my focus. I needed to, to um, I needed the story to be, to be true to the characters and the voices that I was representing. Props. Absolutely. Pro props for writing, you know, your story. And I think that really shines through um, in, in the narrative. Like, that is the strongest selling point to read the book. Ironically, like you're saying the, you're, the, the publishers were worried about trying to make a profit, but our opinion is that that's the reason why you should read the story because it's got that uh, strong personal connection. Yeah, and, and those risks, I feel like paid off because you're right. I could totally see a publisher wanting you to rework the characters a little bit and have them meet and fall in love. And, and that I could see that driving a little bit more sales in the YA industry. If you can put, you know, two good looking people on the cover, like, uh, you know, embraced in some, you, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't want to like- Maybe one of them, one of them should be shirtless or something. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So I don't want to like rag too much on YA books because I like, there's totally a place for that, right? But like, that's not what this book was. And I feel like if, if it would have turned into that, then it would have been a disservice to what this book was because I can already go out and read, you know, hundreds of those books if I want to. 
but I haven't really come across a book that handles that respects their characters so much in a way that um, that this book does. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that you kept it the way that you that you did. Thank you. I'm glad I did it too. <laughs> <laughs> and and although I guess uh, I guess we're classifying this as YA, there's a lot of more adult themes as well. So I think it is something that appeals to uh, a wide range of audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, this is one that I would want, like, I don't know, like an older youth, maybe like a, like 16, 17 year old to read, as opposed to like a, you know, 10 to 12 year old. I think that might be, you know, there's, there's some themes that are pretty heavy in this book that would be harder for, you know, younger audiences to read. Yeah, definitely. Um, It was difficult to um, uh, categorize this book because I would have probably gone with YA crossover Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, again, like you said, it's, it's older teens and then kind of crosses over into adult theme or adult people. But there wasn't really a category called crossover or, you know, Mm -hmm. it was really difficult to kind of place it because um, obviously I really wanted to spread awareness among younger minds. Um, uh, and, and I also wanted um, this book to reach across to adults because it obviously has very strong themes and heavy themes. So yeah, I kind of wish there was a more specific category for this type of story, but maybe in the future. I mean, I mean the, the weird thing is, is young adult feels like if you're just like take all the context out of it, young adult to me would be like, 18 to 25 that's like what in my head i would characterize as like a young adult right yeah um but young adult in like the publishing industry feels like a 12 to 18 year old and that's exactly. like not what i see a young adult as that's like what i would see a, I don't i don't know what exactly you would call <laughs> that but like it's interesting because i feel like that's more the age group that i think that this book would be really impactful for is like 18 to 25 somewhere in there where they've where you're dealing with that kind of trauma and and recognizing that you might have had things that happen to in your youth that are going to kind of mess you up if you don't deal with them and, and, and recognize them. Yeah. So Anna, what was your favorite part about uh, writing the book? The, all of the emotional scenes um, where the characters are struggling with whether it's internal demons or external demons. um, I really enjoy that. And especially symbolism Um, It's my favorite thing about writing like literary devices for me is all about symbolism and um, parallels and contrast Mm -hmm. and foreshadowing all of that it's it's what I enjoy the most and that's why this book is packed with it because I just I love it. Um, So yeah that's my favorite part. There were definitely some times while I was reading where I was thinking this isn't like a typical action-packed fantasy book this is almost like I'm revisiting something from my AP English class back in high school where there's all of these different uh, like symbols and, and devices that I'm having to keep track of and, and that was kind of fun to go back to those days and try to like do more of a deep analysis of what I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel like this book would be great for a reread because I think you could pick up on a few more of those things and and take the time uh, to be like, okay, I know where the plot is going, but now I really want to sit back and and uh, take a deeper dive into the more complexities and and the literary elements that you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's 
also what I enjoy the most when I read um, fantasy. It's when I'm able to kind of analyze different things and draw out the like understand the symbolism and kind of catch the foreshadowing a little bit too you know so you can maybe you read the book once and then you're like hmm, I missed something and then you go back and then you can kind of see the clues in the text um, I, I really like that it, it, I feel like it's a great experience in terms of reading um, you're engaging with the text and and it gives you something so I know the writing process is not always easy. What was the most difficult part for you? Um, the writing process itself is very difficult um, because, well, um, obviously English is not my first language. Um, so that in itself has been a struggle to kind of expand my vocabulary and, you know, just gaining knowledge about how to write a decent book. It's just basically a decent book. You said, obviously, English isn't your first language. Yeah. And I, I would not have guessed that, both from like this interview and also oh. from reading the book, I would not have guessed that English was not your first language. So, yeah, <laughs> okay, so I, I, I want to add it. to that because I think one of the strongest parts of the book is the is the prose. Like, it's, it's very well written and it reads uh, very easily. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Wow, thank you. Um, that makes me feel very accomplished. <laughs> But yeah, it but it was a difficult process writing. And uh, I, I think I struggle the most with um, specific technical parts like the pacing. I feel like I, I there's so much room for improvement for me in terms of pacing. Um, so there are certain things that I um, struggle with technically. I, I feel like I'm much better at the character development part or the emotional scenes and dialogue, those are kind of like where I, I feel confident. But the writing itself is, is always very difficult for me also because I have a mental illness and, and when I'm writing, it's, it's an obstacle for me. Um, so I, I don't really, I have to kind of struggle with that alongside um, just writing in English. So do you have any advice that you would give to other aspiring first time authors? Um, yeah, advice. I would advise um, read all kinds of books from all kinds of genres. Don't stick to one genre. You want to read all kinds of books um, because it really, it expands, it does, doesn't just expand your vocabulary, but it really helps you um, experimenting with writing styles once you start writing. But also I think the most important part would be to make sure that you write a book that you can stand by 100% with or without a publishing house behind you. Okay, so tell us how the sequel is going. It's going well. I, it, <laughs> I, have, a, I have a few chapters I need to write, but the book is mostly written and um, I'm oh, in the middle that of it. Sounds like that's going very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I am a little bit stuck with the revising um, of the book. But yeah, I have a very clear vision and um, I'm hoping to meet my deadline, which is this summer. And then, and then it's ready for an editor. So yeah, it's going well. <laughs> so real quick, what's that process like? Say you've gotten your first chapter written and because I know there's a lot of people that listen to our podcast that are kind of in that boat of, they might, they've never really put in pen to paper, but they might want to eventually try writing. So what's that process mm -hmm. like where you've maybe gotten a first draft done, 
what what happens next then i start on the second draft and i personally i i write i edit a lot as i go because i am incapable of moving forward unless i am happy with what i've written um so i spend a lot of time editing as i go my first draft reads a lot more like a second or third draft because of how much editing i do while i'm writing mm. um so and i think it's different from author to author um i've heard of authors saying that their first draft is really really rough and um they write maybe six seven drafts um before they're ready for you know professional editing but for me it's i i can't write a really really rough draft i have to i simply have to edit as i go um so yeah i i think i write maybe three drafts tops before i start um the professional editing process uh, yeah that's interesting and then and so what happens when you send it off to the editor they they go over it they make any like tweaks or, or edits that they that they want to make and send it back yeah um so there are different stages of editing and the first is usually the structural part so they'll go over the structure of the story um everything from pacing to um plot holes to all of that and the second stage is more um where they look at the writing itself so flow and um sentence structures if anything's clunky or if there's a lot of info dumping um the exposition things like that and then there's two more processes which is um more technical like in the terms of grammatical um so they look at the grammar and they make sure that everything is neat and you know without any mistakes because we don't want that in a published book fantastic is there anything else ana that you would like readers to know going into uh reading descent of the drowned um i think just read the trigger warnings before you um decide to read this book um that's really important especially if if you don't have that grade of a mental health at the moment so it's important that you you make sure that you are mentally healthy um because there's a lot of stuff in this book that uh, is dark and difficult to deal with and also i'm just really grateful for all the support i have received so far from readers it's been really great and amazing um and i see and hear every one of you so Yeah, thank you so much and also thank you so much to Fantology for having me on your podcast. <laughs> that I think is the most important part that I want to say. Um it's been really great and I'm so grateful that you guys decided to have me. Well, yeah, thank you for coming on. It's it's an honor for us and uh you know, I, I this was a little bit of a unique experience because we haven't done too many author interviews so as I was reading this book I was like I get to talk to this person in a few days and it was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that that is kind of a cool uh different we we don't usually get to talk to the Brandon Sanderson's of the world so uh this was fun wow. to... <laughs> I am definitely not anywhere near <laughs> Sanderson um he is like a completely different level but thank you so much for taking up me that way so if we if you are interested in reading Descent of the Drowned you can pre-order now but actually I think this will This episode's going to come out on release day, so don't even pre-order. Just do the regular ordering. And uh, how can they do that? Just Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Um, 
Is there any preferred outlets? Um, no, any um, any store is fine. Um, whatever is um, easiest for the customers to buy from. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anna, for coming on and for taking the time out of your your day to do this with us. It was it was a pleasure. Thank you so much.